After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. everybody this is ragu and i'm back with mind rolling and uh as you can see old friend of mine john lockley john welcome on this lovely hot afternoon here on the east coast right hi ragu yeah it's good to see you <laughs> yeah actually uh, so john is a south african shaman and uh we've had him on before a number of times really and i wanted to catch up with him and john you are in montreal my town you are there and you're telling yeah. me hot i said that's an oxymoron hot <laughs> montreal doesn't go together but uh we have a, a mutual love i think leonard Cohn, right you, that's right yes yeah yeah tell tell me about how you know about leonard i mean leonard is part of like our montreal family i mean means everything to me yeah well leonard um leonard cohen first came to my awareness when i entered my zen training which was over 20 years ago and my zen mentor is anthony osler who used to be the director of mount baldy zen center and he was a he was a student of suzaki roshi who was leonard cohen's um, zen master so anthony left i think he anthony left the temple probably in um, it was still apartheid South Africa, so it must have been the late 80s, and then Leonard Cohen arrived a few years later. So, uh, so that was the that was the meeting space um, or awareness of Leonard Cohen and Zen um, mm. through my friend Anthony. And Anthony is also a um, a poet and a writer and musician. However, he went down the human rights route in South Africa to become a human rights lawyer, and now he's a judge in South Africa. So that was the that was the meeting point, <laughs> you yeah. could say. Right. So, well, um, Leonard is, uh, yeah, he's our Canadian hero. I mean, mm -hmm. and you just, oh, you just saw a movie. What, Marianne and Leonard is the name of the movie? Yes, Marianne and Leonard was a, it was an incredible movie. I really recommend everyone to to go and see it. And it's it speaks about loss. It speaks about the shadow of fame. It speaks about love. Mm. And the mystical and physical pursuit of love that we're all searching for in our own ways, and uh, and I love that that whole exploration and how Leonard did that, and also his exploration of depression and, like I said, the darker sides of being human, the sadness, the grief, all of these things that he brings through with his poetry and his writing yeah. and his uh, singing. So it dealt with all of these aspects. So uh, I really loved it. 
Wow. Okay. And there was one particular story actually I can share with everyone, yeah. which really I found incredibly touching. And you might have heard of this, Raghu. And um, I didn't know this about Leonard Cohen, but when he was in England, he was going to psychiatric hospitals to play music, to uplift the, <laughs> the patients. And there was this one moment, and it was an incredible moment, where they're playing in the psychiatric hospital, and suddenly there was a man at the back of the room, and he was heckling, and he was shouting, and he just said, stop, 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 stop all of this. That's enough, stop. And the musicians carried on, but this guy had such an energy that eventually he brought the house down and they had to stop. So everything stopped. And, and Leonard gave him a chance to speak and he just spoke to everyone and he just said, it's wonderful for all of you. You know, here you are with all these beautiful women and you've got your musicians, you've got your instruments, everything's great for you. But have you ever asked me how I'm doing? You know? Mm. Wow. And and there was stillness. There was absolute stillness. No one said a word. And then the guitarist who was actually telling the story in the documentary said Lennon Cohen got up from where he was sitting and he walked all the way down to where the guy was talking and he just gave him a hug and he said he hugged him for ages. And they said that, that you could have heard a pin drop. There was just silence. Wow. And I thought that was... I mean, that was that's as spiritual as you're going to get, you know. I thought yeah. it was it was almost like a Zen Kongan when yeah. they talk about the crazy man coming into the temple and sprinkling tobacco on the Buddha. Bro. Sprinkling yeah. tobacco on the Buddha, and what are you going to do? Mm. What are you going to do? Mm. <laughs> so I think he uh, he really surpassed himself there as a Zen student in his response. You know, I thought it was beautiful, really, really beautiful. Mm. He, yeah. he he was like that all the time. Though. I mean, such a perfect gentleman and so um, kind and caring about other people. I mean, he he truly was a uh, a saint in the city. They say it's hard to be a saint in the city. Well, Leonard was a bit of a saint in the city, even though he fought all kinds of demons for sure. Yeah, no, he's a real inspiration. Yeah, he really is. Oh, that's fabulous. Um, I know in Montreal there's a huge, there's a building with a huge picture of him um, down where he used to live, which is uh, called the Main. Have you gone down to the Main, St. Lawrence Boulevard? Go down there and get some French. I think I have. Yeah. I think I have, but I'll probably go down there again at some point. You know. Uh, okay, so what's been going on in your life? And we haven't talked in quite some time. And uh, and I know some of the work that you do is so apropos with some of the uh, biggest issues that we have worldwide. And of course, particularly here in this country uh, lately because of the political atmosphere, Mm. where have you been and what have you been doing? Catch us up. Well, I've been exploring and doing some research on my second book, which is to do with the wilderness. So the last six months I've been in South Africa and I've been researching um, the wilderness. So I've spent a lot of time in Botswana. And then I also spent time in South Africa swimming with the great white sharks. And um, my whole focus has been how to help the wilderness. That's been my kongan or my riddle, no how to help the wilderness. I, I have to stop you. Because yeah. you just tossed this out, like swimming with the great white sharks. Like I could have <laughs> said, hey, John, we're going down to the Y. We'll go swimming together. <laughs> What are we talking about? You just don't go swimming with the, come on, you got to give us more on that. 
Yeah, so I have this um, I have this yearning to experience the wilderness. So I experience the the wilderness of my youth and the wilderness of Africa. So the lions, all the animals, and I thought, what is the most fearsome animal in the wilderness? And for me, it would be the great white shark. So I decided to go do what's called cage diving um, off the west coast of, of South Africa. And it's very safe in many ways. You just They put you in with about six people, you're in a cage, and then they put chum in the waters. So they put all this, all this red um, kind of mackerel and various kinds of fish into the waters to attract the sharks. And then the sharks come and they swim past you, these great white sharks. And I had this experience. It was, it was, uh, it was incredible, actually. I was right on the edge of the cage. And the cage, the bars are quite wide, actually. I mean, you can put your hand through quite easily and you can slip <laughs> quite easily and your hand can fly out. I mean, it's, you're just standing on there and you're kind of using your wits. But it's not too difficult for one body part to go flying out. It's, it's not difficult. So I was watching these incredible creatures, these great white sharks swimming past. And then I had this one moment where the captain of the ship said, they're coming, they're coming, go down, go down. So we all went down, and then we just saw this, this torpedo, this submarine of this great wire, just swimming, just literally like half a meter in front of me. And he was just going past me, and I was in the right of the edge of the cage. And for some reason, right next to me, there was this um, foam bullock, this foam section to hold the cage. And for some reason, he just turned his head really quickly. It's almost like he looked me in the eye. And then he just went for it in terms of the foam thing right next to me. And the whole cage shook and he had his teeth in there and he was like shaking like this. And the whole thing was shaking, you know. <laughs> and I just felt, um, that's it. That's Mother Nature. My whole thing was to be close to Mother Nature, to be close to the most fearsome creature on the planet and feel what, what, what does it feel like. Yeah. And it actually feels deeply, deeply spiritual. And, uh, and quite scary, but very, very, very spiritual. And you have to be mindful. In those moments, you have to be mindful. I mean, as he went swimming off again, you know, i just so aware of, of where my feet are and where my hands are. Because like I say, you just slip for a second and it's out. And it <laughs> wouldn't be very mindful. For, <laughs> it wouldn't be difficult for him to just swing back and have a little chomp. But it wouldn't have been hard, you know. <laughs> uh, all right, well, so, then, yeah. Yeah. All of so this. the state of the wilderness, the state of the wilderness um, is is in a very serious place at the moment around the world, and in particular in southern Africa. You know, the wilderness is shrinking, and and there's a number of reasons why the wilderness is shrinking, and the the world the animals are suffering incredibly. You know, the great white sharks are suffering. Poaching is through the through the through the roof. There's a war on in Southern Africa against animals at the moment where animals are being slaughtered left, right, and center. And it's almost, it's a second form of apartheid, except apartheid not with human beings, but apartheid with animals and, and, and humans. So if the word apartheid, it means separation, then we're seeing uh, an incredible situation where man is separated himself or herself. We've set, separated ourselves from the natural world. And it's creating all kinds of, of problems. And I think the root of it is really what we talk about in Buddhism is hungry ghost, hungry ghost energy, where human beings are not connected to their soul. They're not connected to their spirit. And they're replacing that feeling with, with materialism, with buying, with um, commercialism, and with commodities 
and and the, the human beings have become like a virus on the planet, just eating and and and, and invading the natural world and taking from the natural world. And um, and I had a number of experiences with the animals, like when I was in Botswana, watching the animals and watching the elephant and just feeling, you know, what is going on here. And um, and it was it was amazing for me because how I got into the into the bushveld in Botswana was actually through my my second book. I mean, through my first book, Leopard Warrior. And the end of Leopard Warrior, it's it ends with me going into the bush following a, a leopard. And when I was in Montreal last year, I had an incredible experience because a mutual friend is actually a, a safari guide in Botswana and he hadn't been in touch with me. And then eventually he got in touch with me and he, he phoned me when I was in Montreal and we had this long WhatsApp chat um, from when he was in Botswana. And he said to me that he had this experience with a leopard in the bush, this wild leopard, and he said he felt the leopard was calling me to to go into the bush and to join him. And um, so I said to the safari guide, my friend Alwyn, I said, you know, it's going to be so difficult for me to go there because it's enormously expensive to go into the wilderness nowadays because you need a tracker and all these things. It's not easy. And Alwyn just said that um, he's an animal communication expert, uh, Alwyn, and he said to me that he felt that the leopard wanted to download certain kinds of information to me. And I, all I needed to do was just fly into Maun in the Okavango Delta, and I could stay as long as I like with, um, with Alwyn. And, uh, and he would take me into the bushveld and into the wilderness, and we can track the, the leopard and see what the leopard has to say to me. So, uh, so that's, that's what happened. So it was a real wish come true for me. <laughs> Did it happen, though? Yeah, I mean... that's what happened. I, I went into, into Botswana, and I went tracking the leopard, and um, and then I had all these experiences with the with with the wilderness with the animals. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the relatability of this journey of yours, um, and how particularly uh, Westerners and those of us who are completely apart from nature by virtue of being raised in the cities and so on. Although, you know, many of us have experienced it, but it's been more as quote unquote vacation just to get away from the noise. So talk about just the, the relating of what this is that's happening of what did you find there, for instance, just essence wise that can actually inform how we live, here in cities and so on what i found was this incredible peace in the wilderness this incredible peace and incredible stillness and the way that we access that peace is through is through meditation is through listening to our own heartbeats is to feel and listen to the wind going inside of us and um and just to be to be still, just to be silent. And to be silent doesn't necessarily mean we have to become like Zen monks in Montreal as such. But to be silent just means to go into the park and to watch the, the birds and watch the squirrels and to just close your eyes and feel, feel the wind going through the trees, really 
turn your phones off and just look at the squirrel and just feel what what is the life of the squirrel what is what's is happening there and and to become more mindful of other creatures rather than just ourselves so unfortunately human beings have become incredibly narcissistic and driven just by our own egos and our own selfish desires so the state of the wilderness now and the shrinking of the wilderness around the world is really a call for us to become more spiritual and to learn to listen to listen to our own selves to listen to the wind inside of us rather than our own desires and then look at the wild ones so the squirrels are they not as wild we may think as the leopard or the lion but then they are they are just as wild as the leopard the lion and the great white shark because they are part of the wilderness they're part of the, the animal kingdom and anyone around the world in urban areas in london and new york wherever there's a park wherever ever there's doves or squirrels or or other creatures a great thing for our spiritual practices as to just let go and and close our eyes and 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 ask ourselves how is this other creature doing you know breathe breathe in the dove breathe in the squirrel and feel what how are they how are they how are they doing and as we do that then we become less selfish and um and we come become more spiritual hmm. and you call this rewilding modern man and woman rewilding means to occupy the wilderness inside ourselves to feel that we are not separate from the world that we are part of this world and to have a practice where we are just thinking of ourselves and our own enlightenment is 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 not a spiritual practice a spiritual practice should be where we're thinking about the outside world we're looking at the state of the doves noticing one-legged pigeons noticing the state of the of the plants and then doing something about it mm-hmm. um i guess i i have to keep moving into this place where um that kind of reconnecting with as you call it inner wilderness um and you 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 also bring in uh, of course connecting with our dreams um and and generally mindfulness um that that's all very much a part of what i would call yes. returning to um true nature because true nature is in sync with uh with wilderness with wild animals with people who i mean this is to me uh, you know that thing you the little story you told about Leonard Cohen in the beginning mm. and, and what he did that it is, is that is an aligned with nature he was aligned with nature mm-hmm. by virtue of the fact that he got out of himself right he didn't have the cops come mm-hmm. and throw the guy out mm-hmm. right um and and leonard yeah. was quite aware of his own uh, narcissism um this is uh, came out of course in, in much of his music his his level of awareness was so so powerful um but yeah how do you connect up again i mean i can see what you're saying i mean just to get out in nature and it can be beyond squirrels i mean i go out in nature here in north carolina with with my animals and we're quite aware of everything that's going on i have to be in terms of making sure they're not going to encounter 
you know, a bear or whatever, and just keeping aware of the sounds. And once you start to tune into the sounds of the birds and rustling animals and, you know, snakes and everything else, you start to slow down. So I, I really appreciate what you're advising here and what you yourself are putting yourself through in South Africa in the wild. Um, but taking it a little bit further into the practicality of how we connect with that, uh, how that connection with animals and wilderness can humanize us and connect us with the sacred. Talk about that connection on a day-to-day basis and how that can be meaningful. So as we're thinking about animals and how are they doing, whether it could be your pets, could be your dog, it could be your cat, you having to tune into the world beyond language, you having to tune into the world beyond English or French or Italian or Cosa, you having to tune into another way and you having to connect with your own instinct, your own intuition. And as we do that, then we become more empathic creatures. We become more compassionate. So the focus means, I suppose, a deep form of listening, because that's what mindfulness is. It's a deeper form of listening. And when we're really listening, especially to animals, we're not trying to finish their sentences because they don't speak English or they don't speak French. We have to really feel how are they doing? Do they need water? Do they need, what is this creature that I'm looking after? What does it need? Like your dogs, for example. And as we're tuning into them rather than our own lives, we are automatically, we automatically become more intuitive and we become more compassionate. So I think that's what it's about. I mean, what I'm talking about is the same as what Ram Das is talking about or any spiritual teacher. It's just a slightly different focus. I'm focusing on the wilderness because the wilderness is dying. So that's why I'm focusing on the wilderness in this particular way. But if the wilderness wasn't dying, then I'd be using slightly different language. But it's the same spiritual language that's been played out for centuries. It just means some kind of action is needed. So if you're feeling your dog and you're tuning into your dog and you feel that she isn't well or he's not well, then you 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 feel their stomach or you feel their body and you feel a lump or something like that. And then you decide to take them to the to to the vet or or take some kind of action. So the first is us feeling the natural world, whether it's our own animals or walking in the park and looking at the doves and seeing the state they're in. And then it's taking some kind of action, which is an action of altruism, an action of doing something for the other. Yeah, doing something for other. Of course, what, what's happened in India in terms of, uh, of the animal population is, uh, is a horror. And just as much a horror as any other place, um, they have to just the smallest areas now where there's any kind of wild animals left. I mean, India is not a very big country and has uh, mm. well over a billion people, so it's a very difficult thing. Um, but you know, you d- uh, you did mention though that you saw one thing. I was curious about this. Uh, a National Geographic doc on a particular village and how it treated endangered birds. What was that about? Um, I don't know if it was me. I, I'm not really sure about that. Yeah, you National said that they were honored in National Geographic documentary about how one particular village treated in, in 
endangered bird. oh that was in india yes that was in yeah, india yeah. there was a yes it was a it was it was a documentary i saw and it was showing how a one village in india was treating these endangered birds and it was an incredible thing to see um, i don't know what some kind of rare heron and they were feeding the herons and they fed them at a certain time of the day and they literally got hundreds and thousands of them and they'd all descend at a certain time every day and yeah. and then they would leave a few hours later and the man who who started it said that it was a very important part of yogic practice to think of other beings not just ourselves Mm. And when he heard about these endangered birds, he decided to do something about it. So he spoke to all the villagers and they just put out, put out food certain times of the day. And eventually they started getting hundreds, hundreds and hundreds of birds. And mm. it became, became a, a real spectacle. So, mm. um, so all the villagers would start helping. I'm not sure where it is in India, but it was a, it was a real, um, they really made a statement in terms of changing the tide of 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 the desecration of the wilderness and of, of animals to change the perception through using yogic practice of looking after the animal kingdom mm. so really what you're you're doing is really twofold by going into um botswana and going into the jungle to have this encounter with the leopard that's one aspect designed to have this connection for you to open up and be able to share whatever you are getting from this uh, animal and from the spirit. At the same time, you're trying to bring attention to the fact of, of the disaster that is going on specifically in Africa and Southern Africa, but very much everywhere. Mm. Um, yes. How do you, how are you managing to bring these two things together, which is, a personal journey for you that you would be able to share as a teacher and as well uh, a mission to for awareness of what's going on and maybe you know how do you manage that's a bit of a tight road rope act yes yes um so the what i've done is i've started special retreats now in the kalahari desert which are oh. going to be starting next year which i'm calling dreams and tracking in the kalahari and it's going to be a 7 day vision quest taking people into the heart of the Kalahari. And at the end, we're going to be joined by Kalahari sand elders, Bushman elders, who are going to sit in circle. Because I've, I've been researching and working with the stories of the Kalahari sand elders or Bushman people since I was 14 years old. And it's been my wish and, and dream to work alongside them. And I have this dream where modern and ancient man can sit in a circle to help revision the future not where ancient man is having to perform for modern man because they don't have any money and all they've got is their songs and their drums, but where ancient and modern man sit in a circle, eating food together and talking and helping to revision the future. So this is what I'm doing. And this is what we're going to be doing next year um, in the Kalahari. And my intention is to help educate and help to rewild modern people. And as you know, uh, Raghu, it only takes one drop in a, in a body of water to turn that body of water into a healing elixir or a poison. Just one drop. 
and a whole body of water can turn it into something powerful for healing or something very dangerous. So my feeling is to train just a handful of people or people who feel called as I do in the Kalahari and we're going to train them in the old indigenous ways of tracking and of spirituality and then they're going to go back to wherever they come from whether it's America or England wherever they come from and hopefully their lives will be changed and then they can spread this awareness of the wilderness through observing and spending time with indigenous elders and learning these ancient ways through myself and also through Alwyn. So my friend, my tracking friend who runs this um, this Kalahari ex- ex- expedition company, he's been working alongside the Kalahari San his whole, his whole life. And um, he's said to be one of the top trackers in Africa. So he spends all his time in the wilderness. So he's going to be teaching people the language of birds. He's going to be teaching people... Um, animal communication skills, how to communicate with animals and how to also learn the language of animals. Um, And the language of animals is the language of intuition, is the language of feeling, the language of listening to your intuition. So we're going to be teaching people how to track animals, how to track the lion and the leopard and all different kinds of animals through the bush. And then I'm going to be teaching people how to track their own internal worlds, how to track their dreams, and how to look for the signs of their bone people, of their ancestors. And also a certain amount of meditation, so teaching people how to meditate, how to connect with their heartbeat, that visceral pumping, what I call the little drummer inside of us, which is our heartbeat, how to feel it. So this is the way, in a very small way, I hope to, to make a little difference or to help help this world or help our communities through educating and rewilding the modern person. Mm. Yeah. Beautiful, actually. I mean, I'm yeah. just like, as you were describing being out there with this uh, tracker and listening to the birds and, and, you know, and being told about all the different calls that they have and what, what they potentially mean and, uh, I have spent time in Africa a long time ago, and I remember mm-hmm. being uh, in a tent in the wilderness over some period of time, and the different sounds and the way that, I mean, some of it was scary, mm-hmm. definitely. <laughs> the, the, you know, the, the hyenas and all of that, that mm-hmm. high-pitched thing. Um, but yeah, no, I found myself being just caressed into another place for sure. Mm. But um, I guess anybody who wants to go, by the way, we'll, we'll have John's, uh, uh, you know, a link to the site and a link to uh, discovering what you can do to maybe get on that trip. There's still room on the trip. Jesus, I should. Yes, we, (laughs) there's still, there's still room. I mean, we, we, we almost fully booked, but we still have this, we still have spaces and we've been doing so well that we've actually opened up a third week and it'll be in March. So we've got another week. Mm -hmm. Um, We only take eight people per retreat because we want a small group of people really to get to know people and to educate people. You know, the old form of educate, educating people is through transmission. And that's the way a lot of the Zen, the Zen teachers taught and also that's the way a lot of the Sangomas teach in South Africa and, and the way I was taught was through transmission. And transmission in Africa means to 
sit alongside the teacher and just to spend time with the person walking the land. So there's going to be lots of walking, walking through the desert, listening to the sounds, walking under the stars and listening to our dreams. So the listening aspect is important. Um, However, it won't just be sitting like in a classroom situation. There will be movement. So walking through the desert. And then I will be working with medicinal plants, which are not hallucinogenic, but an ordinary, um, um, an ordinary medicinal plants from Southern Africa to help open the senses. So to help, op- to help open the senses so people can remember their dreams and remember their spirit and why they came here on earth to remember their soul and the connection with their Atman, connection with their soul. Because this is the root of hungry ghost energy and why people have become massive consumers. It's not because people are bad. It's because people are lost and people are sick. There's a lot of sickness nowadays. So how do we heal the sickness in a compassionate way is to not blame someone for having hungry ghost energy, but to say to them, let's feed the hungry ghost inside of you sit with me and let's listen to one another and let's listen to each other's stories and let's listen to the natural world. And my job is to help people to listen to their own hearts and to allow their heart energy to feed them. And as we do that, the hungry ghost energy dissipates and the human being with the connection to Atman, to soul, comes up, uh, rises up. Mm. Mm, Beautiful. Yeah. I think we should say something though about uh, when you just mentioned we're not using psychoactive substances, and many, many, many people identify shamanism with particularly with psychoactive substances, particularly mm. ayahuasca, mm-hmm. which is a huge thing in this country and Europe. I yeah. Think, well, um, so yeah, they have a certain expectation that that is what is necessary for transmission to happen do you want to talk i mean we have mentioned this in our early talks but i think it's worth talking Mm. about again just you know how you approach this i think it's very very important no matter what people do especially in the spiritual world of what is your intention what is your intention behind doing something even going to meet a teacher what is your intention and do you want something if you want something or you want to get an experience, then you've got this hungry ghost energy. You've got this craving and this desire inside of you. And that is what we have to be careful of because it's that energy that's destroying this planet. And if you want to look at ayahuasca, ayahuasca as a plant is is becoming threatened and the cultures are becoming threatened in South America right now because of this this insatiable wanting. People going in there because they want a spiritual experience. So you know, it's something that we all have to be very, very careful of. Um, now, in terms of the culture of, of shamanism or indigenous medicine in Southern Africa, someone trains to become a sangoma or a traditional shaman because of a dream, because of a calling that they have. And then that calling is fostered through an apprenticeship. So what the teacher wants to see and what my teacher wanted to see from me is what is my dream? So basically, the dream is reflecting what's happening to your spirit, your soul. So the journey in becoming a Sangoma is the journey of your spirit rising, your soul rising. And so what we like to see as Sangomas from a person is, what is your dream saying? How are you being called in the world? Basically, 
What is your soul saying to you? What is your spirit saying to you? That's the most important thing. And if someone is not having a dream, if they're struggling to dream, then we will get them to sing. We'll get them to dance. And we will wash them with medicinal plants. We'll give them medicinal plants to drink so that they get a, they get a dream where their soul rises up. We say, umoya pezulu, umoya pezulu, which means your soul rises up. That's the focus of the medicinal plants. Now, most of the plants we work with are not hallucinogenic. And the reason is, is because we want the person to be sober, to connect with their spirits and their mind in a, in a very sober way. And then we know that they are getting a true calling from, we say, Utiko, from the great spirit. Mm. So you could say the Atman is connected because they're in a very um, sober place and it's naturally flowing and opening like a lotus flower. It's naturally opening. Mm. But I will um, just to take the side of and of many many people that I know. Um, in fact, I just John just recently heard a story of someone who was actually um, of uh, Indian heritage, but grew up in Toronto and was not into spirituality whatsoever. And then I think the that little book "Be Here Now" popped off a bookshelf and hit him on the head, or something <laughs> happened. But he started <laughs> looking for ways to find more about you know, his inner working, shall we say. So he did go to Peru and he did work with shaman mm. and he did use ayahuasca. And, uh, I think in the, in these ceremonies, you, you have guides that you relate with. And, uh, so you get two guides apparently. So what happened is, so he had those two guys, guides, and not guys, they could have been, <laughs> I don't know what the gender. And then suddenly he said, a third appeared in these ayahuasca ceremonies. The mm. third was Deem Karoli Baba. And he oh. said, whatever Maharaji told him, that was the right thing. The other guides, not so much. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> through, through, uh, they, they wanted to, he was obviously, um, I don't know what the word would be, probably not talented, but whether he had a penchant for opening up in that way and they wanted, they started training him to be a shaman. Right. And oh, wow. at some point though, he left it all because he realized that all he needed was that direct relationship with his guru, which turned out to be Neem Karoli Baba. And all of this came out through ayahuasca ceremonies in Peru, you know? Wow. So, just to say, of course, many, many people have used, and, and we have in more back in the day, uh, of course, um, and since then it's been more around medita meditative practice and so on, and chanting, uh, but many people have come through uh, in a way that they needed to come through using psychedelics. So I, I just want to give the, uh, I, mm. you know what, I love talking to you and hanging with you because there is no ayahuasca, okay? Because it's, you know, there's so much of it. And it's so, to me, I mean, I guess if I really pursued it, there is a sincere, um, r the real deal, I'm sure, is out there. Using mm -hmm. it all properly and using it uh, and using other, you know, medicine and so on and so forth to help with the psychological stuff uh, that people walk around with. 
but mm-hmm. I love the uh, the sober part of and how you approach this. But I just want to give the other side a little bit of love. Sure. But I mean, I can also say that I have worked with ayahuasca myself and uh-huh. I'm not against ayahuasca. I've worked with ayahuasca, I work with peyote, I work with different uh, plant medicines on a personal capacity. And the reason is because the plant called me in dreams. I didn't just go looking for it. I was called through the dreams to go and do it. So then I did it and I had these incredible experiences. So I think it's very powerful. I'm All I'm saying is that people need to be cautious about their own wanting and their own desire. I mean, the ayahuasca is incredibly beautiful and I'm not talking negatively about it because I think it's the most incredible thing. I think it's so sacred that people need to just be aware of what the intention is behind taking it because it's like sitting in a room with a wise grandmother. What do you want from the grandmother? Are you going to go and serve her or do you want to go and take from her? Mm. That is a solid point. Uh, yeah, the realm of the hungry ghost. You go in wanting even just experiences, which is unfortunately what I do see in many people. They get caught yeah. in wanting that over and over and over. And how necessary is that once you, and yeah. that's what this man, uh, young man said to me, you know, once he, he realized yeah. the absolute connection of everything interrelated and interconnected, what else, you know, did he need in that moment? So, and it's also not wrong. I also want to say that it's not, you know, it's not about judging people for having hungry ghosts. I mean, we've all got that. It's not a judgment, but it's just really about each person taking responsibility for that energy that they've got inside them. So being aware of your craving and your wanting. And as we are aware of that, then we, we, we find, or all of us find that we want and we crave less, and then we're having less of an impact on the environment. So it's just really about each person becoming aware of the hungry ghost or the desire or the wanting inside of them, because we've all got it to a certain extent. And um, you look at Leonard Cohen and his writing and his depression and the way he writes about some of these things. I mean, it's really exquisite and beautiful. And I think the beauty with Leonard um, Cohen was his observation of the shadow and his observation of these difficult places mm. So nowadays we're talking about the wilderness and the shrinking of the wilderness and how we are taking so much from the environment, including ayahuasca and medicinal plants. And all I'm saying is let's just pause for a moment and feel our own wanting and our own desire. What do we want here? If we really need to sit with ayahuasca so that our spirit opens because we're feeling so sick, that's beautiful. 100% go for it. 100% go for it. Take ayahuasca, make a prayer to the mother of ayahuasca, Pachamama, and go for it. And then say a prayer to the higher gurus and the higher beings when you're in that state and something will happen. But if you're going into taking ayahuasca or peyote, these other medicinal plants, because you are looking for an experience and you are hungry for an experience all the time, then you just need to look at that. Just be aware of that. Yeah, yeah, perfectly said. Great, John. Oh, listen. (laughs) uh, (laughs) uh, Something happened to me, and I I immediately thought of you after I had this experience. I had, um, I was in Maui, actually with Ram Dass, about a month ago, and I was uh, recommended to have uh, some treatments with... uh, a wonderful woman who did a very, very special healing uh, treatment. 
um, that was very much intuitive and very much, very much on vibrational level. There wasn't any jostling around of limbs, shall we say. Mm. And so, yeah, I had pretty far out experiences. And in, in one of them, um, I just, I, you know, some, I just kind of went out for a little bit of time. I don't even know where I went. And then after the thing was over, she said to me, you know, your father was so much present here during this time. He really came to tell you that he loves you. He is uh, absolutely uh, supports everything that you're doing and so on and so forth. And I thought, I said to her, so what do you, I don't kind of get it. I have, I said, I have a really great friend who's a, South African shaman, John Lockley, and he talks about ancestors as very big, big part of, of, of his practice and teachings. And I, I have to say, I've never really gotten it, gotten it, and this is a woman's name, Jillian. And, you know, isn't it, I mean, someone leaves and, there's, and they move on to another plane of consciousness, eventually hopefully for them, they are able to come back into a human body and have an incarnation. And I'm assuming my father was uh, pretty advanced. He met, he, he met and stayed with Neem Karoli Baba, I mean, back in the day. So wow. he had good karmas, you know, for sure. So what is it that, first of all, what is the importance of ancestors and what is it that communicates the way uh, my father was communicating with me during that session, although I wasn't aware of it until she said, uh, she said so. Okay, so it's, it's, I mean, there's different levels of this. I try and hit this, try and try and use language to the best of my ability here, Raghu. Um, yeah. I think the first reason for connecting with ancestors, let me just give a few sentences around that. The, our first reason for connecting with ancestors um, in the South African tradition, but in all shamanic traditions, and that's because our ancestors represent the tree of life. So we connect with the tree of life through our own bones. We talk about the bone people. So our bone people are our ancestors on the other world, you know. So if we want to connect to the spirit world, let's say, and we want to connect to, say, Hinduism or even Christianity, first we have to go through our own bone people, our own ancestors, because they are our direct connection to the portal of life. So we go through, we come into this world through um, consciousness and we are birthed through our mom and dad who are the bone people. And so in order to connect with our spirits and to connect with the great spirit and the great dreamer, or we could say universal consciousness, we just make a bow to our bone people. So we bow at the, at the doorway of our mother's people and our father's people. And as we do that, not out of worshiping them, just out of respect and, and, and just thanks, a sense of gratitude for the gift of life. As we do that, then we are bestowed the gift of being human. We are bestowed certain gifts because we are showing our appreciation for the gift of life. And the gift of life is, is being human. So that's the first thing. And that's the reason why we, we honor the bones or honor our ancestors. Now, in terms of your experience, what I can say is that each ancestor or each of our 
our parents um, or even ourselves as we are on this earth walk, we accrue certain kinds of calm or energetics which go into our bones and goes into our blood. And that gets passed into the next generation. And the love we have for one another and the deeds we do, good and bad, they go into a kind of a, kind of a, an auric kind of field of energy. And as the next generation comes and as, say, your father dies, that kind of energy is still connected to you in some ways. Is a kind of an energy that's connected to us, even though our parents die and our grandparents die, we are connected to them in some in some kind of um, auric way, in some kind of spiritual way that goes beyond the eyes. And as we honor our ancestors and we ask for forgiveness and we we appreciate them, we give them food and we give them sustenance in the other world and then we make pathways for healing all kinds of healing and reconciliation um, now however if you've got an ancestor or parents that has done a lot of spiritual work and has a lot of love to give and a lot of feeling for you that doesn't go it's almost like it enters the dna it enters you. It's in your DNA, so that that so that when you go to a reader or you go to a, a shaman or someone who's very psychic, that feeling of love that your father has for you is around you. So I'll give you an example of this, Raghu. Um, me in New York City. Okay, I I saw a number of clients in New York City throwing the bones and doing divination, and I got to see a number of things. In particular, I got to see that. A lot of Jewish people are very connected with their ancestors, and their ancestors actually feed them in various ways, giving them luck, giving them a sense of intelligence, giving them a sense of openness, giving them a sense of, I can't even use language, I'm sorry, I can't use all the words, but I can see that they are a lot more in touch with their ancestors than other cultural groups. And... I can see that because of what I see around them, what I'm feeling around them. And then I throw the bones and I will say from the lay of the bones, your ancestors are blessing you and bestowing you with luck and you are connected to your ancestors. And a lot of um, the people I, I gave these sessions to would say to me, but I'm, I'm not really connected to my ancestors. I go, yes, but you're doing something. Then I'd go through it with them. Do you go to bar mitzvahs? What gatherings do you go to? When do you go to the synagogue? And eventually a pattern would emerge, but even if they went a few times a year, they would still say the old songs. They would still say the old passages from the Quran. And as they were doing that, there's some kind of energy that gets forged and gets connected. And I remember this incredible story of being on the plane and sitting next to a man who was um, a rabbi. He was a rabbi, he had this wonderful energy around him, and he was reading from the Quran, and he was reading Hebrew. And I've got a lot of respect for that. Maybe uh, not Quran. I studied, uh, so not the Quran, sorry. The, 
<laughs> no, he could have been this like wide open uh, rabbi. There are some. Uh, not the Quran. Sorry, he is reading from the. Tell me what he is reading from the Talmud. Talmud. That's he's reading from the Talmud. And he is reading in Hebrew, and I actually asked him. I said, "What are you reading?" And he said, "He's reading in Hebrew." And he was so devout, and I started asking him to tell me what are you seeing, and he was started to talk to me about it. And then I said you are blessed by your ancestors and in turn you are blessing the next generation and he mm. said that's it exactly he said i'm so pleased you can see this oh, oh that's beautiful well thank you so this is all, yeah this is all about this is all about remembering you know we remember our ancestors and in turn they bless us and then we remember the next generation mm. Mm. the continuity yeah I get it. Well, I, I got, thank you for that. Cause personally, I, I felt it when she told me Jillian, but I didn't have the, um, the mental application to handle what it might be because, because I'm, you know, I'm very practical in, in many senses of that word at the same time you know i'm i'm open i having met neem karoli baba i know absolutely everything is possible every second nothing is there is no mm -hmm. such thing as an impossibility uh of beyond time and space and beyond it all so i know that in my bones but at mm -hmm. the same time this was wonderful to get a context that i can appreciate um, my father's little visit of a month ago so that's, that's good it's that's yeah. nice yeah 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 really great that's really nice yeah that's very good this has been great it's always great hanging with you and i wish i was in montreal with you there we would go and walk around leonard's building or something and do a little talk <laughs> about remembering yeah him which i do quite a bit anyhow um and where are you off to now um, well, I'm going to be in Montreal for a little bit of time, just taking some time out to write, and um, and then I'll be going to the U.S. in October, Detroit. Detroit. And then, yeah, and then Boulder, and then Santa Fe. So really? I'll go to a few wow. places. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, you you keep me in touch on all of that, um, and oh, yeah. uh, uh, maybe I'm sure your schedule will be uh, on the website as well. So we're going to put all of that in show notes, so that. Um, people get a chance to perhaps meet up with you in some of the different places that you're going to. And also, of course, a link to the, to the book. Uh, the new yes. book will be what next year, maybe. Hopefully. Um, I'm still working on that. So it's going to be a while still. I think. What did the <laughs> leopard say? What did you, what did he, he or she say? Well, I can't put words to it, but I can share with you just very briefly, Raghu, that I didn't get to meet the leopard that he met, but I got to meet her child. We tracked her in the bush, and I found wow. the name of the leopard is called Matsebe. Matsebe is an old Swana name, and it means the one with the damaged ears. Huh. And so I got to meet Matsebe's daughter in the setting sun. It was the twilight, and I just saw this. It was so mystical, I can't explain it to you. And all I was doing was listening to the sounds of the birds. Mm. And, hey. and we were slowing down, and I just saw the streak of light. And I start and asked the driver, the tracker, to slow down. And then we just saw the fur of this young leopard. And we followed the fur. We followed the leopard cub into the bush. Mm. And then we lost sighting. We, we were there for some time. 
And as I was there, I got to hear the other sounds of the animals. And, um, and I got to hear this incredible experience of all these lions attacking the elephants. And the elephants made so much noise with their trunks and with their crying and the stomping of the ground. I wasn't sure if they're going to come and stampede us through the, mm. through the trees and through the, through the tents. But um, my tracker friend said, no, they were just fighting and having an argument with the lions. <laughs> and they managed to chase they managed to chase the lions away and we were gonna be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well all's the well that ends well. Oh my. I, I've spent yeah. time doing that myself again when I was in East Africa a long, long time ago. Went uh tracking animals uh through the Ngoro Ngoro crater was one of the places. Mm. Um so I have a small feel for that and a real appreciation and I uh I think what to get to where um, the moment that we talked about at the beginning of the podcast, where Leonard Cohen diffused a, a potentially volatile situation through love, to get to that place, uh, mm -hmm. I think, you know, in this conversation of connecting ourselves outside of that narcissism, outside of the me, me thing, mm -hmm. uh, is. Uh, certainly nature is one fantastic way. I, I mean, I do it on a daily basis, just going in the woods with my dogs. I mean, it seems like a simple, dumb thing, but it's very important to me. And I, I, and I really appreciate the, the level at which you are encouraging people to connect in that way with themselves for all of the reasons that uh, we've talked about during this podcast. So thank you so much, John. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Raghu. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Now, this is Mind Rolling on Be Here Now Network. As I said before, you'll be able to look at the show notes and you'll find the video of us doing this thing, which we put up, and also all of the links to get you uh, in touch with the deeper part of ourselves. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thanks, Rocco.